Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. I'm your host, Coach Todd Halls, and I am very grateful to be with you today and excited, excited that you're here, listeners. So thank you for tuning in. And I'm excited to have uh, our guest today and what he's going to share with you. Our guest is Dr. Omar Rita. And uh, Dr. Rita is, he's a husband, he's a dad, a board certified psychiatrist, a Harvard trained trauma expert, and the author of Untangled and The Wounded Healer. Also, he's the founder of Untangled. Uh, Dr. Omar, welcome, welcome, welcome to Why Not Me. Thank you for being on this show. Uh, anything you'd like to add to that introduction? Thank you, Todd. This is a very generous introduction, so I appreciate your kindness. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Thanks for being here. Uh, so if you would, just give a little bit of background. So, um, to, well, let's just start with the, the two books, because uh, it's interesting that you're an author, Untangled and The Wounded Healer. Give us a little bit of background or substance on, on The Wounded Healer and then on Untangled, please. Okay. Well, thank you. So The Wounded Healer is a book that uh, I uh, written during this pandemic. And given that many of uh, my co-workers in the healthcare industry, but also caregivers from other backgrounds, not only doctors and nurses, but, you know, we see that with the social workers, with therapists, we see it with teachers, uh, first responders, you know, community and faith leaders, and even with parents that uh, many, many of us uh, go through burnout and we are, uh, you know, exhausted with compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma. So I have noticed the amount of dysfunction that the trauma of the pandemic has caused. And, uh, you know, some of my coworkers, unfortunately, that uh, already left the field because they're completely uh, unable to function. Some are, you know, coping with their moral injury through self-medication using substance. And uh, also, unfortunately, some of them have died by suicide. So the wounded healer is uh, my attempt to bear witness to their stories and give them a voice and platform. What an, an incredible endeavor. Um, so you, you mentioned the, the, the folks in specifically in healthcare. Uh, well, not, not just that, but, but caregivers in general uh, being you know, burnt out, traumatized. I've, I've, heard, I've heard it said that basically worldwide, every, everybody's in, in, has been traumatized, right? Like it's past stress and it's the point where um, Virtually everybody's experienced some level of trauma from uh, from the pandemic. Could you speak to that a little bit? And, and where 
like what's the definition of trauma? When does one cross from stressful, stressed out into a state of trauma or traumatized? Yeah, thank you. And thank you for pointing that, you know, this global pandemic has affected everybody worldwide. Uh, my, my understanding and my belief is that there is another, you know, silent pandemic, which is the psychosocial impact of the coronavirus, uh, which is affecting everybody worldwide as well. But uh, we don't talk about that one as much because of the stigma and the taboo that we assign to our mental health. So because of that, there is a prolonged suffering and Unfortunately, that can lead to pro- prolonged healing. Uh, many people might not uh, receive the help that they deserve in a timely manner. But, uh, you know, many of us, we go through stress. And stress sometimes can be helpful for me to be motivated to, you know, uh, meet a deadline, to function through, you know, a test or a trial. Or maybe if uh, somebody is going through, you know, stressful event, they assign a meaning to it. And it's not really the event itself that's important. It is the meaning that we assign to what happened to us that is more important. So uh, trauma, the definition of trauma is a wound. And uh, Todd, like if, if somebody is, uh, you know, wounded in a physical way, they are bleeding from a physical wound, most likely we're going to attend to them, maybe even rush them to the emergency room. But I have noticed mm-hmm. many people are, you know, bleeding emotionally. And uh, just the response that they receive is, you know, you have to really not talk about your feelings because talking about emotions is somehow became a taboo in our culture. And somehow we don't trust that the people that uh, we're going to open up to about our emotions. And many times we even fear uh, even professional repercussions. Maybe somebody will report me to my supervisor or human resources or even the medical board and I might lose my license that way. So with, and I'm going to overlap. So with, with basically worldwide trauma, almost, almost nobody hasn't been affected by it. Sorry for the double negative, but so worldwide trauma, um, if you, if you rewind, if you even pre pandemic, uh, I've heard statistics is that like at least one in five people will suffer from some sort of, um, depression, anxiety, mental disorder, right? Like, like it's a large enough number that every one of us knows somebody personally that is dealing with some sort of a mental illness. And now, now we add this, the pandemic and, and the, the silent trauma that you talked about. So with every, with everybody in it, why is it still a stigma to talk about it? How, I mean, what, how do you explain that? Yeah. I mean, um, as you, you, as you said very beautifully that, you know, the trauma that we go through is not only because of the global pandemic. We had our own histories before the pandemic. And I think the system was uh, quite struggling before the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, we just uh, removed a large band-aid from our healthcare system and our systems of caregiving. And uh, we have noticed that the main reason many, many people don't reach out to available resources is because of uh, the stigma. Even here in the United States, you you might think that there is uh, no you know, shame, there is no sign of a weakness if you open up about your vulnerability. But many, many have learned throughout the years and going through careers like medicine and nursing that uh, the patient comes first. Our emotions should really not uh, count during the clinical encounter. And then we go to our homes and we don't want to burden our families. 
So I don't want to burden my patients or my clients. Then I don't want to really burden my coworkers. And then when I come home, I uh, don't want to burden my family. And then I will end up just, you know, not talking about my trauma story. And uh, I learn through that practice, it becomes a habit for me to dismiss my emotions. And then if my children are watching, uh, they will also learn that emotions are scary, that mom and dad uh, are not comfortable talking about big feelings in this house. And that's very unfortunate. That will lead to repeating the cycle. That's why I created Untangle in order to break the cycle. Yeah, it, it is, as, as you've talked, and I, it's, um, I'm feeling a little bit convicted myself uh, of doing this very thing, right? Um, like not, uh, not opening up even, even at home. And so, and in doing so, what, what occurred to me as you were talking was in doing so, it creates a sense of isolation, not just for me, but for the folks that care about me that aren't, that, that are seeing me not open up. And, and pretty soon you end up with um, all these islands of isolation um, and, and, and nobody really, oh, what's what I'm looking for, like coming together, holding hands, supporting one another uh, because of the cycle you just mentioned, and it just continues to perpetuate itself. So, so thanks for sharing that. Um, so, t- so talk about untangle. So with, with that in mind, recognizing that, that, that it's a kind of cycle and untangled uh, exists to help break the cycle. How would that, how is that going to happen? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I had my own, you know, experiences with trauma from very early age. I lost my sister uh, when she was 14. I was only six years old. And uh, that's the reason I pursued medicine. She died of brain tumor. And then I was about to be kidnapped at age 11. And uh, that ignited my passion to protect children, especially from sexual trauma. And then, uh, you know, I ended up leaving my home country, Libya, in uh, the year 1999, and uh, living as an asylum seeker in the United Kingdom before coming to the United States in 2002. Uh, But then, you know, going through the civil war in my home country in the year 2011, I built something called Untangled, which I have noticed that many, many individuals, families, and communities are quite tangled in a dysfunctional web of trauma. So in order to break the cycle and not, you know, pass our distorted trauma story to our children and not cause the, you know, um, transgenerational impact of trauma to continue, I built a model of uh, five components. The first one is to fight the stigma through education. And the second one is to build local capacity through training of trainers. And then to really Uh, open safe spaces so we can have these very difficult but very healing conversations and then together with the local community build uh, resources that are you know responsive and humble and uh, you know sensitive to the local culture and if needed we can build together clinical services if somebody needs uh, medication management or an actual clinic or a crisis hotline or intervention team we can design that as well so the model uh, was extremely successful in Libya. I replicated that in Syria, in the refugee camps there, and then in Bangladesh with the Rohingya refugees running away from the war in Burma. And also, every time I come back home to the United States, I find there are local communities affected by the same. And we bring our trauma stories from 
everywhere that we come, not only from refugee camps and armed conflict zones, but even from houses that may be uh, infested with domestic violence or substance use or incarceration or sexual trauma. So it was my mission, it has been my mission, and it will continue to be uh, since 2011 to break the cycle of trauma through Project Untangle. So how big a team do you work with? So so clearly you're 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 fighting this across the globe. So how big how big a team do you have working with you? Yeah, thank you. That's a wonderful question and that's why uh, I was really really insisting that uh, we don't do only one time program with a community. Sometimes one time debriefing can cause more harm than benefit. So every time I uh, want to go to a local culture or local context, I will contact organizations on the ground. I will study and do my research about the local culture, the religion, the language, what are the current available resources, what are the gaps, and then how can I uh, become part of uh, the team? I don't come across as the arrogant you know, uh, American expert that knows everything. I rather uh, try to come up with a student attitude and learn what's uh, working for them and uh, what's missing, what are their current coping skills, and then I can build on uh, encouraging more safe and healthy skills and discouraging unhealthy and unsafe ones. Okay, so so essentially you, um, you create a new team or you create your team where wherever you happen to go, wherever you land, wherever you're needed. Is that correct? Yeah, so basically uh, an organization will contact me or I contact them. Maybe a, a hospital, an organization is interested in replicating the wounded healer model or maybe the untangled model. And then I will uh, work with them uh, through empowering them, making sure that they have enough staff to go through the intensive training then they will carry the mission moving forward. So yes, I work with local organizations everywhere I go. Awesome, awesome. So then, so once you you have this, um, you, they reach out to you, you identify the team that's going to go through the training. And then, so that's, that's step two, the local capacity. Step three is then to open safe spaces. What what exactly, what do you look for in a space? How does, how does that all come into being yeah thank you i mean uh, as you know a healing space is not only a physical concept it's uh, mainly an interpersonal concept so it will be wonderful if we do the wounded healer uh, safe spaces in uh, an actual retreat where there is nature where there are horses and other animals but sometimes uh, that happens within the auditorium of a hospital so i have worked with organizations in different contexts and how that uh, look like. And then once we really uh, open a safe space for them through having a difficult but honest conversation, most likely that will uh, break the taboo and shatter the stigma in the local system. And uh, we need a buy-in from leadership and from administration, of course, because I want this to continue to be part of the culture after I leave and I leave behind you know, a local team Many times I offer them my book or together we build videos or brochures. So try to empower them and leave a legacy behind 
and that legacy i am a big believer that uh, in order for people to heal usually they have to use their own local resources so in libya it will be libyan experts in syria it will be syrian experts and and here home it will be uh, you know american experts maybe if we are working with an organization in portland oregon we can bring an expert to do training but then the the team on the front line and they will empower one another and use each other and build a community of care. Got it. Very cool. Cool, cool. What's your so what's what's your long term vision for it? What what's your what's your dream for all yeah, of I mean, this? Many people ask me, oh, like what's your goal or what's your dream? And oh, I always tell them if I have it my way, I will lose my job which means I am no longer needed as a trauma expert. And uh, this is very unfortunate that uh, this is not going to happen most likely in our timeline. But uh, I, I really want this to be maybe something that my children will remember me. Uh, I leave a legacy that I have tried to make the world a better place for them. And uh, as I said, it's not only one-time training. Yes, we build the five components of Untangled, but I have continued uh, to have long-term relationships with Libya, Syria, and other countries in the capacity of maybe a, a supervision or consultation. So long-term relationships are more impactful than one-time programs. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. So as you think about the, the journeys and the travels you've been on, can you um, can you share like a... Um, like a profound transformation like, like or healing, like something that you have experienced, been part of, helped with, that afterwards you were just like, um, just like aghast, like, wow, I can't believe that that went that way, that went that well, or, or whatever the words you would use. Anything come to mind that you could share? Yeah, I will share maybe three very short stories. One about the impact of trauma on the family unit and Untangled is very heavily uh, focused on empowering families and working with the youth and building bridge between parents and their children. So, For example, in my own family unit, uh, trauma can happen when one of my children is uh, quote-unquote acting out, uh, having a difficult day. Then most of us as parents, we might punish that behavior and send the child on a time out. Uh, I believe in a time in that have worked with my children over and over. Rather than I send them to their room, I actually go and uh, uh, spend, you know, sacred time with them. I open sacred space in my heart for their suffering. I listen with empathy. And most of the time, we really avoid any uh, bad feelings and even any um, harsh discipline, if you like, if we listen to people with empathy. So that's something that we can practice in our homes, how to bond with our children when they have uh, difficult feelings. They don't have the words for that. So maybe they will act out uh, through behaviors. If we don't understand the behavior, we might punish them for that. And as caregivers, I mean, mm-hmm. many of us, we come depleted to our homes. We don't have uh, energy to spend on our loved ones. We might lash out at them or shut down and they will walk on eggshells around us. And I call that losing the American dream, chasing it. Many people, they provide for their families materialistically, but they will neglect the emotional needs of their loved ones. And that will break you know, their hearts and they go to sleep with 
full stomach but empty heart. So we want to break that cycle. So this is one story about the impact of trauma on the family unit. Another story is about the refugee experience. I had the privilege to bear witness to many refugees. And one of the Syrian children, he uh, have witnessed his father, you know, he was gunned down by a sniper. And uh, unfortunately, the bullet penetrated his spinal cord and he ended up being quadriplegic. He cannot move uh, any of his organs. And the child was extremely anxious. So we worked with him, uh, building a safe space through play and art therapy. And all of his symptoms uh, improved, except he was uh, very uh, extremely fidgety with his fingers, was moving his fingers nonstop. And we said we need to uh, go and do a home visit and examine the family dynamics. And I'm glad that we did because when we went there, he jumped on his father and he started to massage his father's hands. And we asked him, why was he doing that? And he said, maybe one day he will be able to hug me. His dream, this uh, very young Syrian boy, is to have a hug from his father. And uh, he was trying to undo the damage that he had witnessed by massaging his father's fingers, hoping one day he can move them. So that's a profound experience that you don't really have to ask that beautiful child about the graphic details of what happened to his father, but rather bear witness and uh, maybe the trauma story can unfold in front of your eyes that way. Incredible. And of course, I mean, uh, every day I work with uh, people because, uh, you know, I come from different skin color. I practice uh, um, a religion maybe that's different than what my clients believe in. So the third story I like to share uh, happened actually last week. One of the patients, I walked into her room and I introduced myself and she immediately said, I cannot work with you. I need to work with a white American physician. And uh, I immediately respected her wishes, uh, consulted with my supervisor, and he graciously uh, took care of the patient. But then when she was leaving the hospital, she actually asked to meet with me. And and she told me that she heard about what I was doing. And she's really sorry that uh, she treated me with uh, quote-unquote racism and prejudice. And I told her I didn't have any hard feelings towards her. Because I believe she also had her own trauma story and I needed to listen to her story with compassion. But sometimes you might dismiss somebody who might, uh, may add beauty and bring, you know, uh, some strength to your life. If you dismiss refugees, if you dismiss people from different backgrounds, you might lose on the beauty that they can bring to your life. Almost surely you will, you will lose. But yeah um those are three uh thanks for sharing those are three great uh great examples great stories um i'm curious so for for the parents that may be listening if if you haven't engaged with your children previously that way and maybe maybe they're teenagers or you know at, at any age it just hasn't been the way is it too late to start Yeah, I mean, when it comes to healing, especially healing your family, it is never late. Uh, better late than never, but uh, really there is always room for healing by building a bridge between us and our loved ones. So we do that through very simple acts of kindness, even if it's uh, out of our comfort zone. Uh, 
So remember, Todd, I told you I was flying to different war zones and refugee camps. So my children were very, very anxious that maybe one day they're going to lose their father. So every time I come back home, I uh, really taught myself play and art therapy techniques that uh, I can bond with my children, maybe practice uh, safe touch, maybe practice the art of listening, uh, spending quality time together, uh, having a safe eye contact, uh, taking them on dates and uh, opening uh, you know, space for conversation, respecting and celebrating rituals like family uh, time that uh, we spend together before they go to bed. Maybe uh, every meal we try to share the meal together. So if that's not the practice in your home, uh, don't despair. There is always room for healing. But uh, celebrate small victories. Start with small steps and build up. Uh, you might actually be extremely pleasantly surprised that they are looking for that healing. And once you start to you know, come near them, they will also start to walk towards you and hopefully you will meet and build a bridge and start a journey towards forgiveness, towards healing, towards closure, towards finding meaning. And a trauma can make or break us as a family unit. So uh, that decision really is ours. Yeah, perfect. Um, so one thing that comes to mind is you, as you described and first started with the, that first story about the family, um, and you shared uh, specifically, you know, uh, caregivers, nurses, doctors, you come home depleted. And I'm going to expand that to say, because in, in my circles, it's, it's business owners and entrepreneurs, but it's the same thing. They, we, uh, we come home depleted. And so what would you offer for any kind of tips or advice? How do you get at least a little bit of a recharge before you walk in the door? Or what, what's, what's, what's your technique to get ready mentally, emotionally to enter the home after a day serving? Yeah, that's a really beautiful question. And one that uh, I'm a very big fan of giving tools to people because all of us are you know, good parents. We just, sometimes we don't have the right tools or the right skills or the right energy to show our loved ones that we love them. Sometimes we don't know how to express our love and people will start to maybe avoid us. And that is a cycle that I would love to break. So it, is, it really starts with the self-awareness. So the first thing to remember is uh, you cannot solve a problem unless you admit that you have one. So if there is a dysfunction in your home, just uh, have self-compassion, accept that uh, there is room for improvement. So it starts with the self-awareness, then start with self-management also. So manage your big emotions, know how to express your uh, feelings in a healthy and safe ways. So rather than lashing out or shutting down or using substance or self-destruction, learn how to build bridges and uh, learn how to listen with the intent to understand, learn how to not give long lectures and not to raise your voice because the louder you speak, the less they are able to hear you. And then, you know, what I do every day, actually, I don't bring any of my emotional garbage from the hospital to home. So make sure you leave everything in your business behind. Don't bring any paperwork to home. Try to finish everything before you actually arrive and spend quality time with your loved ones. And then uh, practice that I do every day is to uh, pause in front of uh, the garage. So I start, you know, uh, sitting in my car for 
few minutes just remembering that I can unwind, that I can emotionally prepare, and that uh, my family is the most important thing to me and they deserve a little bit of my energy. So I try to recharge my battery before I enter home and give them the love that they deserve. Wonderful. Great, great stuff. So you've mentioned a couple times, learn to listen and just now listen to understand. How does one go about learning to listen and learning to listen to understand? What are some resources you would point our listeners to? Yeah, I mean, there are great resources out there. Like uh, there are books that talk about, you know, how to listen so the children, uh, you know, can talk. So once we listen, uh, with the respect, our children will be able to safely open up to us and also how to speak so the children can listen. And once you speak in a hostile way, people will not listen to you. So how to treat them with the dignity and respect. Maybe we are not uh, equal in power, but uh, we are equal in humanity and in dignity. So I treat my children in, in that way. The first thing that I do is uh, I have the self-awareness that their stories are as important than the stories that I hear from my clients and my customers uh, may be more important sometimes. And uh, if uh, they don't share their pain with me, they will share it with somebody else. And I'm afraid they might share it with the wrong people or they go and talk to a total stranger online or they might use uh, you know, substance or cutting or even suicidal thoughts or behaviors or risky, impulsive things that they do and engage in. And once we uh, try to reach out to them, it might be too late. So the first thing to do is to remember um, your children are extremely valuable. Your loved ones, the people that live inside your home, are the reason that you are spending long hours at work. So make sure that you don't lose sight on your priorities. And then uh, listen to understand. Yes, many times the children repeat the same story. Sometimes they um, you know, say things that uh, are completely fantastical, that not believable. Just be a child with them. And enjoy what they enjoy. Live in their world. And uh, sometimes I find more joy doing that than than, than they do. <laughs> That's why I take uh, refugee children on uh, camps and retreats and actually engage physically with them, uh, playing basketball or soccer or volleyball, uh, playing uh, with the horses, try to engage them with nature. So um, get out uh, and uh, use all the resources available to you and make sure that uh, you use all of your internal resources as well because uh, our family wounds are deserving of healing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you've mentioned horses a couple times and, and even when you talked about having a retreat um, and uh you mentioned horses and other animals around. Is there a reason, how, how do horses play into um, healing or, or is it just coincidence that they've been brought up a couple times? No, I mean, uh, we have been very blessed. Uh, like my wife is the foundation of everything that I do. So the two programs, you know, Untangled and The Wounded Healer, and she really does all of the logistics by working with organizations and arranging these talks and, uh, you know, events. But two, two of the camps that we have designed together, one is called Camp Sila. Sila in Arabic means connection. So we connect children to nature. We connect them to a high power that they choose. We connect them with one another and mainly connect them to themselves. So we use nature, including animals, 
but uh, we have done that since 2018. Every year we do uh, one camp. But because of the pandemic, we decided to do another camp called Camp Mahara. Mahara is Arabic for skill building. So in order to build uh, social skills, life skills, uh, coping skills, survival skills, we have decided to work with animals. And we found uh, a wonderful you know, animal rehabilitation farm. And these are traumatized horses that are working with traumatized children. And uh, really the outside of uh, a horse can heal the inside of a human. So we found that to be a profoundly, you know, healing experience for uh, even the Afghan refugees that just arrived into the country. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, so how do we, how does one recognize if you are, if you've, if you've been traumatized, if you're if you're if you're suffering the effects of like a PTSD, like how do how can we do a self assessment? How can our listeners we look in the mirror? Um, is it just obvious? Everybody should know because um, it seems based on our previous conversation, we've got this tendency to just kind of tuck things away, right? We put it in this back little corner of our heart or our mind, and we and because we need to be strong and stoic and go about our business. How do we how do we start to open that up and recognize a that we've experienced trauma b that we've yeah been I mean I, I wish if it's uh... go ahead yeah I mean I, I wish if it's that easy I mean uh, some people they don't really have uh, uh, self awareness and we just need to point them that uh, they are struggling what we notice is uh, a change in their behavior and their uh, core beliefs and their moral values. If you see a sudden change in somebody that you care about, either, you know, a loved one or a co-worker, make sure that you uh, point that out in a respectful way, in a caring way. So don't be intrusive, but don't be neglectful. Uh, many people, they really are uh, continuing to suffer in silence. They try to uh, isolate and build bridges and uh, stay behind closed doors. And this is the right time to check on them because we don't want to lose anybody to suicide. So uh, it is uh, wonderful if we have everybody with the self self awareness and insight, but that's not always the case. That's why Todd, I'm a big big fan of building a community of care. So as a team, uh, my team members, my coworkers will check on me, and I check on them. Uh, we uh, really give each other feedback, and we listen to the feedback. We are willing to give, but we are also willing to receive. Uh, we build a community that cares about one another and we change the culture. And I think that will save lives, literally save lives. I love that. That's, um, that's just good stuff. That's great tips for any organization uh, to promote that. Um, we'll call it a co-awareness. Watch it, you know, being, being there for each other, paying attention to uh, your your coworkers, your associates, your community's behaviors and, and being able to respectfully, as you say, just check in on them and, and make sure they're doing okay. So thank you for that. So as we, as we get close to wrapping up here and seek to, we got the landing gear down, seek to land the plane. Uh, one thing, uh, if you were to leave our listeners with one important or impactful question that they should they should be asking themselves or thinking about what would that important or impactful question be? Yeah, I mean, I think um, many of us 
we really uh, are very harsh when it comes to uh, our own feelings and not really open to nursing our own wounds. So very uh, compassionately, just uh, wonder what happened to you. Be curious why a behavior that uh, I engage in is leading people away from me. Why are my loved ones scared to talk to me? Why are people walking on eggshells around me? Uh, how come I am not you know, comfortable sharing my feelings? And then you will find out, is it an internal uh, issue that you need to work on? Or is it a lack of resources? Because what I have noticed, uh, people really will quote-unquote act out. They change behavior if they are missing a basic need or if they are missing uh, or lacking a coping skill. So once we make sure that their basic needs are met and we teach them the right skills and tools, uh, everybody deserves to thrive and live a life that's uh, full of their potential. Thank you for that. Cool. 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 So Dr. Omar, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I know your, your website, I believe is uh projectuntangled.org. Um, for our listeners that want to uh, find out more about you, contact you, get get behind what you are all about and what you're doing, is the, what's the best way for them to uh, to get a hold of you? Yeah, thank you. I mean, uh, it will be most likely my personal website, which is uh, dromarreda.com, D-R-O-M-A-R-R-E-D-A.com. It uh, contains the Wounded Healer model the untangled model and everything that I do. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on Dr. Omar. Thank you, Todd. It was my pleasure and honor. It's, it's been a pleasure and listeners. Thank you for tuning in. I uh, hope you found immense value in this conversation. Thanks for being here. I uh, want to leave you with this. Of course, whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream God has put on your heart, remember you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, and live life strong. Peace to you. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time. Be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.